Go ahead and take your Bibles with me and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're in 1 Corinthians. We're going to continue our time there. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are actually some behind that partition back there, and you can grab them. Um, have this text in front of you this morning. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 23 this morning. Thank you for your flexibility. I feel like I need to say that every time we get displaced out of the exchequer room. Thank you for your flexibility and for being willing to be up in this space. Um, I feel like you all in the back are a long ways away from me, maybe a little bit more than usual. Um, that's okay. I also noticed that I have a, a, an increased degree of accountability because there's a clock right here. And so you can, you, can, uh, you can hold me to my whatever minute mark I'm supposed to be held to. Seems arbitrary at this point, really. Also, the door is there for a quick and easy escape. So <laughs> here we go. Hopefully that was none of you this morning. But here we go. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verse 10 and reading through the end of the chapter, which is verse 23. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to the church in Corinth, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can, so for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifest, become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ's, Christ is God's. This text in particular made me think about several things, and even a couple of weeks ago when we celebrated Christmas and we thought about Isaiah chapter 40, um, and Isaiah chapter 40, in one of the verses that we read, it'll be up on the screen in a moment here, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 7, verse 8, I mean, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of, the Lord, or word of our God will stand forever. This is an important text, especially for these 14 verses that we read this morning in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 23. These, these 14 verses all are predicated upon Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand Forever. I have a good friend who's a pastor in the Philadelphia area, and he sent me a journal article that he's writing this week. Uh, he had to submit it earlier this week, and he wrote it, sent it to me to proofread. Maybe that's outside of my, my wheelhouse, but he sent it to me anyways. He, the, the, the beginning of the article struck a chord with me as I thought about these verses and what we we're going to talk about this morning. He wrote this, Consider John. 
John grew up in what could easily be described as a traditional evangelical church. Contemporary blended music style, various tidbits of scripture interspersed with kind thoughts about God. When John was 10 years old, he heard the gospel. According to his memory, the gospel centers around the idea that God loved him and had a wonderful plan for his life. God wanted to grant him eternal life if he turned from his sins and make a decision to follow Jesus. He remembers walking down the aisle of a church as the choir sang the hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. Fast forward 20 years, John is married with two kids. He's not a member of any church, but he does, not, does attend on Christmas and Easter. When asked by a friend who had just begun to have interest in Christianity, John, are you a Christian? He replied, well, yes, of course. His friend was a bit more persistent than John had anticipated. A follow-up question was asked. I'm struggling to know if I am a Christian and wonder how you would know that you are a Christian. And without hesitation, John replied, I walked down the aisle of a church when I was 10 years old and decided to follow Jesus. Intrigued, his friend asked, what does it mean to follow Jesus? At this point, John was silent. He had no idea what it meant to follow Christ. And the topic that the article was about was, was, a, was a common, a common uh, practice or thought or idea, a popular teaching in Christianity that simply is not supported by the Bible. But if we do consider John, like the article asks us to, why would we think that he's a Christian? What, what things would we think make him a Christian? What has John been taught? What does John believe the gospel is? What is the truth that John has built his life on? And what is the substance of his life? Is it precious jewels, gold, and silver, or is it hay, wood, and straw? Last week in the first half of chapter 3, when we looked at verses 1 through 9, we saw the marks of maturity. What is it that what makes and, and displays maturity in the life of the, in the Corinthians? And how the Corinthians needed to move from milk to solid food. From the basics and the fundamentals of the gospel all the way down to the depths of the riches of the knowledge of God, as Paul puts it in, in Romans. They needed to internalize and digest the basics, and then they needed to move to the deep end of the pool. And so the question when we came to the end of our time last week, what we had to ask ourselves is, how does one do this thing? How does one move from immaturity in the Christian life to maturity in the Christian life? How would the Corinthians in, in our text this morning go from firm establishment in the basics to a rich understanding of the depths of who God is and the realities of what He is doing? Ultimately, our text this morning tells us that this understanding and this movement in the life of the believer from milk to solid food or to meat, this must happen through the building up of the church and the quality of the materials that the church is being built with, the quality of those materials matters. That's what this text is about. So there are simply two ideas here, especially in the first six verses, if we look at verses 10 through 15 in particular, and we'll key on a couple ideas in the remaining part of the chapter. But consider with me two ideas that flow out of this text. First is that materials that are destructible oftentimes are used, and then when, when materials that are durable should be used. So we ask ourselves this question, what 
with what is the church built? Destructible materials or durable materials? And what are the differences and what are these things, why do these things matter? But before we get there, we have to think a little bit about where Paul starts in this text. He starts with a proclamation that a foundation is laid. He says very clearly, he said, according to the grace of God given to me in verse 10, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. So Paul lays this foundation, and in verse 11, we found out that no one else can lay a foundation for the Corinthians because the foundation is laid, and that, and that, that foundation is Jesus Christ. No one else can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul is moving beyond, he, he, he's recognized that the that the foundation is laid for the Corinthians, that the gospel has been established in their midst, and that that, that that is good, that there's no cracks in the foundation, that it doesn't need to be repaired, that everything looks good on every side, and that foundation is present, and so now the building on top of that foundation needs to happen. They didn't need to worry about the cracks. They didn't need to worry about shifting sands at the foundational level. The foundation was sure, it was certain, it was the gospel. That is the foundation for their lives. The good, news, the good news of Jesus was their foundation. And so Paul is a skilled master builder, and so he proclaimed nothing to the Corinthians but Christ and him crucified. We saw that earlier in chapter 1. He proclaims nothing to the Corinthians but, but Christ and him crucified. He lays the foundation. But then we see this next phrase here that he slips in. He said, I laid a foundation in verse 10. And then he says, and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. That sets up verse 12. The foundation is laid, but the building is being constructed. Now, if anyone builds a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, Paul brings the materials into play now. What is being built upon the foundation? The gospel, the truth of the gospel. What is being built upon those things? What materials are being used? I'm going to ask the simple question, what would we choose to build our house with when this list of materials is given? <laughs> gold? I don't know how many of us are building our houses with men of gold. But the reality is it's a much more precious metal than wood, hay, or straw. And we're going to find out why that's important as we move through this text. Paul is implying that the Corinthians ought to prefer the gold and the silver and the precious stones. Why? Because a day is coming. A day is coming, he says in verse 13, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. There's a day coming when the building will be tested. And we find out what, the, what it's built upon. Yes, the foundation, which is the gospel, but what also what it is made of. Also, what the construction is made of. And it doesn't take a PhD in fire science to determine which one of these materials is going to go up in flames first. Wood, hay, straw, gold, silver, precious metals. The building is the church. Now, we often say that this is a strange thought because we often say, because we're meeting in the lobby of the Civic Center, we say, the church is not a building. And yet, the metaphor that's used here is a building. Not a physical one, but a metaphorical one. Paul is carrying this idea from an interaction that Peter has with Jesus. 
that I would imagine that Peter and Paul had some kind of conversation about at some point. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18, uh, Matthew records this. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus is telling Peter in that moment and his disciples what the foundation of the church will be. And now Jesus is engaged in a little wordplay. Peter's name literally means rock. Cephas means rock or Peter Petros means rock. And kind of like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but Peter the Rock Jonason. Bar Jonah, son of Jonah. Thank you. So Jesus is saying that you are the rock, Peter, the rock, but on this rock, on the confession that you have made, that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, this rock, I will build my church. The rock is not Peter itself, but the confession that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that the foundation of the church is the gospel. The foundation of the church is Christ Jesus. There is no church that is a church without first saying that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. If a church says anything different is their foundation, if anything is their foundation that is different than the, that Jesus, the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that church is no longer a church. They do not meet the most basic definition of church. And so he's saying, this is the confession on which I will build my church, and then he says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So every single church must first start with the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and this is the foundation. So Paul's saying the same thing, in fact, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 23. He's saying that Jesus is the foundation, the gospel, Jesus' work on our behalf is the rock, and the church has the foundation, but then the building needs to happen. There's more that needs to happen. We need to grow in maturity. If we just have a foundation and never construct anything upon it, then we've missed the mark. So the church has the foundation, but then the building happens, and it happens through, what he says here, is instruction, through teaching. The instruction that happens in the local church, then, according to Paul here, has varying degrees of worth. There is bad teaching, and there is good teaching, and each of those things will be tested by fire. Paul wants the Corinthians to recognize the various materials that are used. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Categorize those things. Reject the ones that are going to burn up and be consumed by fire. And allow the precious ones, the precious metals that will be tested by fire to remain. 
Paul is warning the Corinthians that they must be subscribing to teaching that will ultimately last. They cannot subscribe to teaching that will not ultimately last. And if we go back and consider where we've been so far in 1 Corinthians, we see that this is a challenge for the Corinthians. They are aligning themselves with mere men, with Paul, with Apollos, with Peter. And in those factions that they've allowed to develop are being taught something. What is it that they are being taught? And are those things within those subcategories, are those things precious metals or are they wood, hay, and straw that will be consumed quickly by fire? How would they know the quality of the teaching? One, they must grow in maturity. They must grow in maturity through pursuing a deep understanding of God through his word. And by knowing their foundation inside and out, every, every inch of that foundation needs to be known by every member of the local church that the foundation is the truth of the gospel. We must rehearse this day after day, moment after moment. Every point in our day in life needs to be completely saturated in the truth of the gospel, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And the immaturity that Paul knows the, the Corinthians are still living in and then prevents them from discerning truth from error. So we see then that in some instances, the Corinthians could be or maybe or maybe in jeopardy of subscribing to teaching that is destructible, that is destructible materials like wood, hay, and straw. But if we move to our second point, we see then Paul admonishes them to, to, uh, to, to build or be built upon, the, build upon the foundation with durable materials. Paul wants the Corinthians to discern and choose good building materials. But as we see at the end of the chapter, it's not by worldly wisdom that they're going to decipher these things. It's not by worldly wisdom that they decipher good building materials, but godly wisdom, which requires becoming a fool in the minds of the world. And this is what Paul points out in 18 through 23. Especially in verse 21, look at that with me. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. They don't want to boast in men, but they want to boast in the understanding that they know their God through his word. He says, why are you aligning with mere men when God has provided you with the means of wisdom to determine what is good and what is right and what is beneficial and what will not burn up and what will not blow away? You all have that which you need. You became fools when the gospel, the foundation was laid. You became fools when you heard and received the offensive truths of the gospel. The foundation is there. Don't build on it. Don't be built into something that won't last because you're quick to forget the fundamentals and the basics because you don't know the every inch of the foundation. We go to the foundation to remember what types of materials we must build on. And there's a lot of flimsy doctrines out of there floating around. And, they're, and we're all, we are all susceptible to them. And when the fire comes, it's going to prove if those are destructible things or if they're durable things. We start out by thinking about a man named John and that, that sort of snippet I gave you from my friend's article at the, beginning of, at the beginning of our time together. And his baseline understanding of the gospel is that God loves John and that he has a wonderful plan for his life. That doctrine, that belief has led to little transformation in John's life as we thought about the next 20 years of his, of his life. 
And so we have to ask ourselves, is that understanding, is it durable or is it destructible? And for John, it seems to me, while running through the filter of God's word, that's a highly destructible teaching. Not that it's wrong, but that there's no depth to it, that it doesn't extend much beyond that, and it never really extended much beyond that for John. And it seems like some really dry straw that's dipped in jet fuel, and as soon as it's exposed to a heat source, it's going to be incinerated like that. And when a bit of heat gets within 100 miles, it'll be no more. Now, does God love us? Yes. That's part of what John believes. Yes. Does God have a wonderful plan for our lives? Yes. But all of that is far too ambiguous. Paul is admonishing the Corinthians to move beyond ambiguity. He's admonishing them to take a step into the depths of the riches of the knowledge of God. And what John believes, again from that snippet at the beginning of our time together, he said he made a lifelong decision to follow Jesus, but really honestly, it seems to more have led to a moralistic cultural religiosity than anything else. And even if that's the first introduction that he had to Christianity, there absolutely must be a graduation into the depths of who God is. God does love us as creation, and as those, if you're in Christ, he decided to redeem. But love that doesn't act isn't love. Friends, love is costly. You know this if you're married. It costs you something. It's self-sacrificial. It's easy to love something that doesn't cost you anything, love something that doesn't cost you anything except a bit of money. It's easy to love someone who says nice things to you. It's easy to love when that thing or that person loves you back. But God's love for us becomes far more radical when we understand the foundation of it. When we understand that our sins separated us from God eternally and our very being despised everything about who God was and is. And our words put, it, put us in God's rightful position. And we desire to see ourselves elevated to God's rightful place in our lives. And there was nothing lovable about us or in us for a holy God set apart for a holy God to love. And we rejected God and we sinned against him in our choices and because our very nature is sinful. And God sent his son to take our place, to take on our sin, to make us new so that we could be set apart again, not for our own purposes, but for his. And so there's so much more to say here, but the idea that God loves you needs to be fleshed out. God loves us, yes, absolutely, but what does that look like? What does that mean? The people who are completely unlovable by anything or anyone is, are now loved by a God who sent his son to die. Or think about the idea he has a wonderful plan for our lives. And what is that wonderful plan? Does it look like happiness or power or money? In a lot of instances, I think that we, and even in our Christian subculture, believe that it looks like happiness or power or money, and we elevate those things to a place of premacy in our lives. And we say our, our happiness is the, the, the utmost. It's the highest goal that we can attain to is our happiness or, or power in our social spheres or, or financial success. And we say that, that that's what God wants. That's the wonderful plan that God has for our lives. But the reality is if we read Scripture and we will run that through the filter of Scripture again, 
the wonderful plan that God has for our lives looks more like following Jesus into his death. Maybe not physically, but certainly death to self and self-interest. Humility. Regarding others' interests more highly than our own and generosity. Does it look like treasuring Christ more than anything the world has to offer? And slowly allowing those things to be stripped away so that he is our everything. He is our greatest treasure. Jerry Bridges wrote a prayer. I saw this this week. Lord, I am willing to receive what you give, to lack with what you withhold, to relinquish what you take, to suffer what you inflict, to be what you require. At first glance, I feel like that doesn't sound like a wonderful plan for my life because even in moments of, of sheer frustration, like, why, Lord, is this happening again? Why am I succumbing to this sin again? Why do I find myself in this position again? And yet we must rest in the promise that God has our good in mind in every instance and even though it's painful, that he's growing us into exactly what he desires us to be. So God's wonderful plan for your life is that you would glorify him in all that you do, and that there'd be no question with whom your allegiance lies. So these are durable materials because the depth of them goes deeper than just a simple surface-level Christianity that requires nothing of you. But they become more durable as they become more deep and the dive into the depths of who God is and move beyond simple, simple understandings into the maturity and the meat of God's word. So, in conclusion then this morning, now again, Paul is writing this to a church. Paul is writing this to a local church. So again, we need to take these ideas and we need to apply them to us as Buffalo City Church first and foremost. So what are we going to do? We're going to think about this. The implications are first for us as a church. We're going to think about this all together. So we need to ask ourselves this question first. If you buy a home, you get an inspection. Will what we are being built with and the materials with which we are being built, would those things pass inspection? And that's a question that each and every one of us needs to ask. Will those materials pass inspection? Will we let a few crooked two-by-fours through? Will we ignore some errors in the electrical work or in the plumbing? And the point is this. How will we as a church be built in a way that uses durable materials and not destructible ones? How will we make an eternal impact, not a flimsy, culturally driven, temporary one? So let me give you, those are my questions now, my thought process. So let me give you four things. Let me give you four thoughts flowing out of those. What will pass initial inspection? How will we not be a church that is built with durable materials, with durable materials and not destructible ones? How will we be a church that is built with durable materials and not destructible ones? Let me get that right. First thing is know the foundation. Friends, each and every one of us has an obligation this morning to know the ins and outs and every inch of the gospel and exactly what that means. The gospel is the foundation. Know the foundation. Our foundation as a church is Jesus. 
his person and his work. We confess together this morning. That's why we're gathered here to proclaim to the world. We're here, yes, together in this place, but we're proclaiming to the world that Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. He is the Messiah. He is the one that saves God's people from their sins. There is nothing other than the gospel that we have built anything upon. Things come and go. We go from place to place and from person to person. But the reality is that we as a local church, friends, if you go from this place today, if you're moving out of state or somewhere and you are looking for a local church, the first question you should always be asking, is the gospel the foundation of this place? There is no other question that we should have about the church. When we go to a church, we oftentimes think about, we think about how does this place, how does this place meet my needs? How am I, how am I being uh, established or understood or as my, an individual, the things? What is, what is speaking to me? What's not? Do I like the worship? Do I not like the worship? Do they pray enough? What, what, are, what are these things? And we, we rarely ask the question, is this place built on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you don't hear the gospel on Sunday morning, then it's probably not built upon the gospel. And again, that is the first litmus test for a church. We confess together that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the one who can get us back to God. And without this foundation, again, we are not a church. The foundation is of first importance. And so we need to know, again, every inch of our foundation. If our foundation is Christ, then we have to ask ourselves the question, what Paul is asking here is, would we choose less than the most precious building materials to build with? Would we choose, if, if, if Jesus Christ is our foundation, would we choose anything less than the most precious building materials to build with? When our foundation is our greatest treasure, would we pick cheap, deformed materials to build it, on it? The best materials are costly. Wood and straw and hay, they're cheap. Gold and silver and precious stones are less available and are expensive. Building upon the precious foundation is going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something. And what will it cost? It will cost our time and effort for sure. And we'll have some in, to immerse ourselves in God's word and the depths of the truth so that we can discern the value of the materials, of the doctrines and of the teachings so that they may not be susceptible to fire. But if we keep our feet firmly fixed on the foundation, on the gospel, we will not waver our, in our selection and discernment regarding sound biblical teaching. This is the responsibility of every individual in this room, is to weigh it next to Scripture. Anything that is taught, to weigh it next to Scripture. Second thing that I would say and answer this question, what is going to pass initial inspection is rejecting trends. Rejecting trends. So that means be discerning. How can we as a congregation be discerning. And Christianity, just like any other subculture in this world, is loaded with trends. There are tons of them. And I, can't, I, can't, I cannot believe some of the books that get written, honestly. It, 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 it is incredible. It is incredible. I have some basic, let me share you, I have some basic rules that I use for like rejecting a book in the Christian section. Let me give you these. Is the author's face on the front of the book? That's a red flag for me. That's a red flag for me. Why? What are they promoting? And now I'm not saying that I won't read that book, but what I am saying is what are they promoting? 
Are they promoting themselves or are they promoting some truth that they find in God's word? Are they promoting a precious foundation for the church, which is Christ? Now, exception to that rule, if the face is on the front of the book and that person is dead, then I'll probably go back and change it because they're not changing what they say. They're, 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 uh, they're not doing any self-promotion. They no, they no longer have anything to gain in this world. So there's an exception. Another rule I have is I ask myself the question, is there something out there that would be a better use of my time? Oftentimes when we pick up a book, we look at it and we say, oh, this seems good. But we always have to ask ourselves the question, especially if we're picking something up in the Christian section, is this something that is the best use of my time? I'm saying reading is a good use of your time, but there may be something on the same topic that is a better use, better use of your time. I'm not trying to be utilitarian, but I think Christians should read fiction and biography and all things that fall outside of generally what we think of as a Christian section of the bookstore. But if you want to learn more about prayer, there are books, some books that are better than others. I've made the mistake of reading 200 pages of fluff when I could have been ingesting some serious beneficial truth. The point stands, the world is loaded with trends and the church is susceptible to blowing winds of cultural change if the incorrect building materials aren't being used. What to eat or not eat. What to drink or not drink. The use of sex and sexuality and gender and marriage. I get all these Facebook ads telling me to, if I put this one, this is what they say, one simple practice in place and you'll grow your church by 200 in a month. That sounds good. Do I think that's going to be a biblically grounded suggestion? No. I don't think so. I could go on and you get the picture here. The next thing that I would say to ask this question, what will pass initial inspection is be willing to remodel. Be willing to remodel. And this is be humble. We need to approach what's being built with humility. If we notice that we're choosing the wrong building materials as a church, we must be willing to rework things. And part of growing in Christian maturity is being willing to admit that you're wrong. We're not the center of the universe. We're all fallible. I'm fallible. You all know that. God is God and we are not. So if there's a doctrinal position we move towards that needs to be remodeled, we need to think about, we need to be willing to do that. The gospel is foundational. That doesn't change. Paul says it in verse 11. We can't lay another foundation. He doesn't say we shouldn't. He says, now if anyone builds on the foundation, or he says, for no one can take care of how, the, uh, uh, how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. We must be willing to admit there may be a better way to think about and apply the gospel in Buffalo City Church. One last thing, I'll say this quickly. We must learn from our mistakes. We must be teachable. We must be teachable. If we must remodel and use different materials, we need to learn from our mistakes and reject the deformed materials in the future. Proverbs 1.5 says, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. God often uses our experiences to instruct us and move us towards a more rich understanding of who he is and what our responsibility is and what our response should be. And our experiences are a tool. We're not governed by them, 
but when filtered through the truth of Scripture, they are very important instructors. We must be wise to hear them and to heed them and to increase in learning. So these four things, what will pass initial inspection? How will we be a church that is built with durable materials and not destructible ones? We must know the foundation with the gospel. Friends, if you don't know this, go rehearse it. Go rehearse it in front of the mirror. If you need help, find someone. Come to me. Let's talk about what the truth of the gospel is, what, what is included, what's not included, and you must rehearse it on a daily, daily basis. And we reject the trends. We must be discerning with the things that we are ingesting and the things that we're allowing to form us as people. We must be willing to remodel when we need to be humble and then we need to learn from our mistakes. These four things this morning. And so Buffalo City Church, just in conclusion then, what will be our building materials? And friends, I am burdened. I have burdened that sound doctrine, the precious metals and stones that Paul describes here, that these materials will withstand the heat of the fire, that these things will be what we're made of, and that we would, as a church, reject things that will not last. We would reject things that will not last. Let's pray.